0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of PwC Canada's CEO Viewpoints podcast series, where we discuss key themes from PwC's 25th Annual Global CEO Survey. According to Canadian CEOs, driving clear and purposeful strategies plays a critical role in differentiating their organizations. I'm Jason Boggs, National Banking and Capital Markets Leader at PwC Canada. And today I'm joined with Anthony Osler, President and CEO of the Canadian Bankers Association, to talk about transformation in banking for an increasingly digital world. Thank you for joining us, Anthony. Thanks, Jason. I'm delighted to be here and it's great to see you again. Firstly, I wanted to say congratulations. You joined the CBA in February as CEO. Tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you here and what you're looking forward to most in this new role.
1: Thank you. And I'm I'm really thankful to be part of the leading the CBA. It's a fantastic organization. From a, a background perspective, I originally grew up in Vancouver, did my undergrad at Western and then did my MBA at Ivy, which is Western. After did my undergrad, I did some work before I did my MBA. I actually started as a bank teller 30 years ago. I've spent 30 years in financial services and post MBA and in, in, in Toronto. I did strategy consulting, which I really enjoyed to banks, and then rejoined Royal Bank, worked for them for a while, I had some really interesting roles and those experiences have given me a breadth and depth of exposure, both globally, internationally, nationally, and across different sort of dimensions of the industry that really complement the skill sets of the great team I have at the CBA. And I feel it's a great match to come in with 30 years of experience and join all the great people at the CBA to try and help advance the industry. So I feel very fortunate. It's also a really important time for the industry. Banks employ 300,000 people, have a really big impact, they have 4% of the GDP, It's key to what we're dealing with right now. The environment is challenging. Banks are going to be key to helping fund growth and solutions and dealing with climate. We'll be talking a bit about that, but it's an exciting time.
0: Thank you, Anthony. I think you'll agree just based on your experience in the banking industry, we're experiencing a pace of change we've never experienced before. So just interested in your reflections in relation to what's different about the banking industry now versus five years ago, and where do you see it going in the next five years?
1: That's a great question, Jason. Thank you very much. And there's no doubt that the pace of change is faster than anyone has imagined five years ago. And this will continue going forward. And a key part of that, I think, is because of the impact and the changes associated with the pandemic. If you think about it from a banking perspective, there's sort of three main drivers of change. Technology, regulatory environment, and then, of course, number one is what are our customers' preferences. And so the pace of change in the industry is usually dictated by the customer, but that's obviously applies to all industries. Customers are driving innovation. And so it's interesting to see because it takes a significant amount of investment to digitalize and modernize elements. And the banks have been doing that and working on that for some time. What's interesting is from a consumer perspective is that our Canadians have unprecedented access to numerous digital channels that that give them convenience through technology. So what we've seen is nine to 10 Canadians say that banking has become a lot more convenient for them. Three-quarters of them are now relying on digital banking. And and three out of four customers are also intending to keep digital banking habits that they developed over that pandemic. Those changes have become permanent. What's amazing is, is how we've been able to, as an industry, to be versatile. And not only were we well prepared for the needs that came, but we're also had to learn and evolve and how people use things and improve things and, and also enable and drive change for our employees to help our customers. And what's exciting for me is that rate of change isn't going to slow down. A key thing in the interim is we as an industry are always concerned about is making sure that we're connecting with our customers and understanding their needs and being there for them so we can continue to grow and evolve. But we're also making sure they're being protected.
0: Yeah, I'd like to pick on the investments that people have made in technology. And and we know from our survey, a number of CEOs commented in relation to just where that return's going to come from of making those investments. So interested in your thoughts with regards to specifically looking at the, the banking industry, where do they go beyond digital in terms of leveraging those technology investments in terms of interacting with their customers? I sometimes think about banking as having four pillars.
1: One is people. One is capital. Another is our systems and processes, which include technology. And and then the fourth, which is kind of fundamental, is trust. If we take a step back and you think about technology, it's not really just technology. It's how we connect and serve. And so in the decade leading up to 2019, the big six banks had invested over $100 in technology. But around that, what they're doing is they're looking at systems and processes, and they're going okay, so we serve our clients this way. Can we automate this step? Can we change how we do this? What are their behaviors? What is their perspective? What are their needs? How do we change that? So then that then results in a whole new policy or the elimination of a policy because control has been eliminated because it's been automated and then changes how the employees work is actually getting more interesting. So they're spending less time on moving paperwork and more time interacting with the client and thinking about the client's issues. And so you have this sort of, embryonic evolutionary growing element. And so technology is an enabler for increasing and enhancing the experience. And so those investments have actually paid significant dividends for the banks. And thankfully, they'd spent that 100000000000 billion pre-pandemic because their ability to serve and meet customers where they needed to be was off the charts. For our employees in the industry, their work has gotten more interesting. It's become much more sophisticated. If you think about what people do, in banking and how to serve customers and the solutions you're developing and the tools and the process enhancements. It's quite different from when I was a bank teller 30 years ago.
0: So, picking up on that theme, just in terms of how the industry is evolving and that interaction with the customer, let's talk about open banking and payments modernization. Really interested in what the opportunities are for the Canadian banks as well as the broader marketplace with those two topics.
1: Now, open banking is about enabling customers to get ability to have their information shared with other fintechs so they can have a comprehensive view of all the different services they're using. And what the government is helping facilitate with the open banking lead is creating an environment where that information can be shared in an effective way and meet customers where their needs are. So there's a lot of work being done there. Payments modernization is a reflection of essentially updating the plumbing behind a lot of the stuff that happens in Canada. Canada actually has one of the from a payments perspective, is quite cashless compared to many environments. I just spent a couple of weeks in Italy. I was amazed at how advanced they are, but there's still a lot of cash there. I've spent the last eight years living in the US, but way more cash. A lot of what people see at the upfront has been quite advanced, and so Canadians have been open to adopting and using it. But the behind the scenes stuff needs to be updated, and there's been some great progress. There was a large value transfer system that was done in 2021. We've got a lot of work to do on the real-time rail retail elements. There's a lot of complexity there because we already have Interact. And so there's Payments Canada and all the different stakeholders are working closely with them to help and do the payments modernization work. It's not going as well as we'd hoped. There's been some delays. But the great thing is, is that there's, we as a CBA are working with the Payments Canada and other stakeholders to help advance that and keep that on track. What we've really appreciated is a really open and supportive dialogue to be able to ask some tough questions on how we can improve what we're doing and how we can get there. Because there's been a significant amount of investment. We have an environment where people are used to being cashless. We have an environment that people want to adopt tools. And now what we're doing is enhancing and improving the plumbing behind the scenes. And we get that right, that will enable that convergence we were talking about with open banking.
0: And just staying on that innovation theme, especially around payments and, and really thinking about the customer, Obviously, there's been a lot of hype around crypto. So interesting in your thoughts from a Canadian banking context. What's the opportunity or challenges that the introduction of crypto will have in terms of the Canadian marketplace? There's two
1: different elements to crypto at the high level. I think about cryptocurrencies and then central bank digital currencies. Cryptocurrencies are generally outside the banking realm and our members where they can help clients with that. What's interesting is there's a, an expression, regulatory perimeter. Peter Routledge often talks about yeah. it, right? And he's the head of, he's the superintendent the yes. head of, of OSFI. Yeah. And there's these things that don't necessarily always fall into his remit, but one area that does are the banks. And so we operate in his macroprudential regulatory environment, and we're doing what we can to make sure that we're doing securely and things effectively for Canadians. If we take a step back and think about systems or locations we're in an environment, we just talked about it, where we have a very cashless society already. People are used to adopting technologies. There's been hundreds of billions of investment in technology. We continually develop and advance things to be where our customers are. The challenge we have is with these things being introduced, what are the problem they're trying to solve? So if you're in an emerging market, you have banks that people don't trust, maybe they're not well capitalized, or maybe you know, only 20% of the population has access to bank accounts. Well, maybe a cryptocurrency or a central bank digital currency may make sense. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, like over 98% of Canadians have a bank account. We have, uh, thanks to OSFI and prudent regulation over the years and the bank's behavior within the system we have, we have the best banking system in the world. What is a central bank digital currency delivering or solving? Right. And so... What's interesting is that Bank of Canada is looking at it because they're, they're trying to figure out like, do we do a retail central bank, digital currency? I think it's a good intellectual exercise. We should always be evaluating alternatives. But when I look at it, I think about risk in, in a certain way. So risk is defined as impact times probability, the impact of the risk. What's the risk of, of not having a central bank, digital currency. People may want to do crypto and that kind of stuff, but like is your mother going to do crypto? Maybe your son would like, you're not going to pay your mortgage in crypto. When I mean, you get your paycheck, you don't want it to swing by the money in your bank account to swing by 5% every day. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so what is the problem we're trying to solve? And you think the probability of having a, a system that needs that, we don't need it. If we go back to our point about open banking. One of the things about open banking is inherent in that is a philosophy of creating an environment of competition. If you're a fintech or a smaller bank and you create a great service, but a, a client that's using your service has their primary checking account and mortgage with a big six bank, well, they, they get your service. And now with open banking, they can connect it all together and they can see what's going on. That, yes. That's fostering competition and innovation. Well, that's a good win. What does a central bank digital currency do? If we intellectually pull that apart, what it would mean is instead of people having a deposit at their bank, they would put their money in the central bank, digital currency. So first of all, your deposit would go to the central bank and go to bank. But what do banks do? We're in the business of collecting deposits, which we then put into creating loans for people to buy a home or a car or start a new business or fund a big climate transition project. (laughs) You know, all those things that we do with those deposits. Now, if you're a big six bank, you could likely find a way to get funding. But what about the hundreds of small to medium-sized banks that don't necessarily have a national brand, where are their deposit sources going to come from? And so if we create a central bank digital currency, we're actually creating potentially an anti-competitive environment. So what's the point in doing open banking and doing all this time and effort and thinking about how we can make people's information secure and we protect privacy, but also give them the ability to access their services where they want to access them? and then undermine all those small and innovative businesses ability to get funding.
0: Right. And hopefully we don't end up in a situation where we would need one just based on both how the banks are operating as well as the central bank. Just interested to pick up the trust theme that you opened up with earlier. Yeah. And one of the the key things we're seeing from the marketplace both from a customer as well as an investor or shareholder perspective is looking at institutions commitments uh, to ESG and as well as net zero specifically. And so obviously the Canadian banks have made numerous commitments on net zero and are out in the marketplace discussing those. But what does it mean for the Canadian, the banking industry as a whole, as well as the economy as a whole, in terms of what the Canadian banks will do in this space? It's a really
1: interesting topic. What I've been amazed as I've been meeting the leadership teams of my members is the amount of investment they're putting in place, the growth of hiring investing and working with consulting teams and firms like yours to design plans and think about how they're going to fund transition and get to transition. There's a real sincere desire to be a part of the solution. And if you think about Canadians banks, when Canada's had big transformational eras, like we were building a national railway, well, who funded that? The banks. did. The challenge we have is, is sometimes people want to get their net zero right away. Well, We're not going to be able to get there right away because we need to actually switch to an environment where we have energy sources and elements that can allow us to live our life. And so what we need to do is focus on that. And so what they're looking for is is to partner with governments, other elements, supporting the investment in new technologies and investments. They are contributing time and effort in research. And working directly with Canadians across many industries. It's not just the oil and gas industry. They're working really closely with new technologies to help that. The other thing is to think about carbon intensity and how we address that. That costs money. The banks are thinking about how we can help with carbon capture and and storage and helping advancing investments and financing and, and advance those elements. The other thing is the global energy markets are quite impacted by where the source of those energy is coming from, right? And so Canada is a source of clean energy. So we need to think about how we can support our partners that are currently going through a really tough environment. You know, and there are countries that use energy as a weapon. We all know a lot of people will probably have a pretty cold winter this winter. And so Canada also has to play a role in supporting that. That doesn't mean we can't actually continue to do the fund, the transition. If anything, that gives us potentially more earnings to reinvest and support. But in this time, this short-term time, we also as banks have to play a role in helping that issue. It could be that our oil and gas um, support and loans don't drop for a while, but what are the components? And what are those things that are part about transition? And what are those are about helping support, upholding the values that Canadians hold dear and, and supporting countries that are free and support democracy? So it's a complex issue and it can't be done overnight. But we're working at it and um, our members are sniffly dedicated to it. And I want people to understand that they see this as a multi-decade, multi-element, multi-dimensional, complex issue. But like building the railway, our members are committed to getting us to net zero.
0: Waidini, thank you for those reflections. And there's a common theme there in terms of the Canadian banks really investing ahead of these changes that we're now facing. So interesting, any final thoughts that you may have in relation to thinking about being future ready, both from a Canadian banking context, but also more broadly from a a Canadian uh, marketplace.
1: One of the things that the pandemic has taught us is that we're actually far more capable of doing and operating things that we haven't really thought. Like sometimes we're limited by our imagination. We have a great country, but I want to encourage people to be energized about despite all the challenging things, inflation and all these disruptions and markets and that actually we've got something great here that we can build and grow upon. A good way to think about that is the future depends on what we do in the present, which is something that Gandhi uh, said, right? And we're setting the conditions for a winning future. And we continue to push ourselves for that. And There's no reason why that future won't result in us having to wear shades, right? Like it's, I think we have a bright future despite the challenging environment going through and we're in this together. And I'm really proud to be representing my members and helping them with that. And I appreciate the opportunity to discuss that with you today.
0: Anthony, just want to say thank you on behalf of our listeners. Great perspectives in terms of thinking about the Canadian banking industry but also thinking about how they're enabling the rest of the Canadian economy as well and really helping the Canadian consumer. So thank you. Thanks, Jason. Once again, I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us today for another episode of CEO Viewpoints. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to learn more about future episodes and to hear insights from our Canadian CEOs.